Hello and thank you again for joining us. We are back for round two of this journey, of this pleasure to come to you and into your homes and into your phones and you're getting these podcasts and we are just so happy to be a part of your lives. My name is Ryan Middleton and I am the host here at MMA Fancast. We are a part of Octagon247.com. Octagon247.com. Made by the fans and made for the fans. And so we are here in the studios of Octagon 24-7 post UFC 204. And this event just took place and we are going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, many other things this evening and we are just excited to be with you. And I am joined once again by my two wonderful co-hosts. Yeah. We have first the man that said yeah is almost 50 and he is <laughs> he is just something else. Let's just that's that's all I can really say. It we're recording this podcast at 1:15 p.m. and he just called 1:15 a.m. Uh, yeah, good way to He's on the ball even though he's like geriatric. So we, it's 1:15 a.m. and he just called his small children to wish them good night. And so I introduce to you the man, the legend, Jim Sahara Mooney. What's up? What's up? What's up? It's such a pleasure to be with you, Jim. And also our other co-host is a man that we introduced him a little inappropriately or incorrectly, I might say, last week, Um, but... We're going to really expose his real name this week, and that is Terry Dactyl. Hey, everyone out there. Terry Dactyl here. Certainly glad to be speaking with you right now. And we are post-204 right now. We are pumped up. I'd love to get into it. Well, let's just do do just that now. We literally just watched um, the this event take place live from Manchester, England. We saw a main event that featured Michael Bisbing and Dan Henderson. And, you know, this was really, guys, I got to tell you, this was a card that I um, wasn't particularly looking forward to. And um, those are some of the cards that sometimes surprise us and, and deliver. And I think the main portion of this card, we're not going to really get into the prelims and, and any of that stuff tonight, but... As far as the main card goes, this was a card that I felt like delivered and unexpectedly delivered. Your thoughts? I agree. Um, the fight I was really looking forward to seeing was obviously the uh, the main event. Just, uh, you know, I've been a fan of Dan Henderson's for a long time. I was pulling for him. I was on the edge um, or on, on the uh, fence about the fight going either way. And it, and, and it turned out to be just that. Uh, one of the uh, judges scored at 49-46. I think that one could be thrown out. I just didn't see it um, that bad. 48-47, um, I think you could have said it was 48-47 for either fighter. But um, quote of the night, um, you know, they talk about uh, performance of the night. UFC should come up with quote of the night with Henderson's afterwards and said that he wished that the fights would be judged on how you looked. Because clearly... Bisping, you know, in the couple scrums um, that Henderson was able to launch, he he made him look bad. Yeah, Bisping did a great job of, you know, controlling the center of the octagon. He was always pushing the action. But Hendo, you know, round one, comes out fierce. Well, I guess that's an – is that an overhand right that he caught him with? It's the H-bomb that he caught the him with. The H-bomb. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, so I'll tell you what. After that first round, first off, I was wrong again in my prediction. I said that Bisbing was going to take him out in the first round. Uh, wrong again. Uh, casual fan for those of you listening. I don't think I mentioned that last time on the last podcast, but not. I am a casual fan. He, he did mention. I he don't believe he did. That. Okay, well, good. Now that I've gotten that out of the way this time. Yeah, so uh, look, for me watching the fight, when I see somebody get dropped twice on big hits, 
it's hard to to see the other person's hand raised, especially when when both eyes were pretty pretty blown up. Uh, but that's that's my that's my quick thought on it. Yeah. So I um I was going. I was really rooting for Dan Henderson as well. I I wasn't. This wasn't a really a fight I was looking forward to, and not a card I was looking forward to. As I said earlier, you know, I I didn't like Bisbing choosing this fight i think when you're champion if you're not fighting a guy in the in the top three or four then this isn't the U. this isn't boxing what did this he is have the ufc um avenge the loss avenge the loss he i mean he really wanted i feel like his motivation was to be able to defend this belt and have a path that was reasonable against a guy that was ranked, I don't know, I think at the time before the Lombard fight, he was ranked 14th or something. I just don't see that. That's not how the UFC operates. The UFC has one and two, one or three, one and three, one and four, depending on the situation. You don't have the champion facing number 14 or borderline top 10 guys. That's just not the way the UFC model works. And so I know that when you're champion, you have a little more flexibility because it was UFC 100, the magnitude of the event, I think he was able to capitalize on that and really push push for that fight. I didn't like the fight um, to begin with. That being said, I thought the fight delivered. Um, I thought, you know, look taking a look at Henderson, I really wish he did hadn't gassed so early. Um, I was afraid of that when he, he when he unloaded that first shot in the first round that that really uh, uh, stunned um, Bisbing pretty bad, and then he got on top of him. He hit him with some nice elbows. That's what gave him the big cut under his eye. But I was afraid because he was really letting go, and I and I said if he doesn't get this knock, I in my head just from watching so many fights, you know that you have that adrenaline dump and you lose it. And so, um, you know, I think the commentators were, were, were saying it right off the bat early in the second round that his, he was already, he was already sucking wind and with mouth open. Yeah. Brian Stan, uh, at the, in between rounds, I think it was actually this between the second and third round where, uh, Stan made the comment about that, uh, that first round knockdown that it seemed like, uh, like Henderson, had realized that he wasn't going to get the knockdown or knockout then, and he had backed off a little bit so that he didn't wouldn't gas himself. Yeah, and I think he did gas himself, but he did hold back a little bit so that he didn't entirely gas himself. Because who knows if he goes all out gung ho there? I mean, he may not. He may not have. He could have won won it or two. Lost it in the next round, so and he certainly took advantage of the uh, the groin kick to get a to get his breath back. Yeah, I think that you know if he's not as tired in that situation, he's probably not taking that long of a break. But the guy, hey, don't kick him in the groin if you don't want. Right. You, you yeah. know he's entitled to five minutes if you if you get a. Groin. And that was that was the second time too. They didn't catch the first one. Correct. And there was uh, there was some um, a little bit of uh, not necessarily an argument, but uh, Bisping had. Uh, gotten a little mouthy with the ref um, when Henderson was, if you want to call it, taking his time. I mean, the guy's 46 years old. He's just, you know, having fought as many times as he has, he's a smart guy. He's he's going to take the time to get some win back. Yeah, why wouldn't you? you know, he, he wants to, you know, take the last fight, and he knew coming in this was going to be his last fight. He made the announcement afterwards. He was done. Um, although he has done that before, um, was that against uh, Hector? He he said that he, he wasn't didn't, sure. He wasn't sure. Yeah. And so ultimately, if you if you didn't see the fight, just to recap the fight, um, pretty even first round, first half of the first round, and then later in the round, maybe with a minute or so or two minutes left, um, the H bomb lands, drops Bisbing, Bisbing goes down. Uh, Henderson jumps on top of him, unloads some elbows. Um, Bisbing actually did a fairly good job of recuperating and 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 not getting hit cleanly with very many shots, and um, and the and the round ended. And then second round, 
controlled by Bisbang, and then once again late in the round he 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 hits him with a shot, not quite the same level of shot uh, as in the first round. The first one was a truly a bomb, and and it was almost the fight was almost over. This second one was just a knockdown. He he was able to recover pretty quickly, but he did. Uh, we thought there was a good chance that he could have stole, stole around there, and the announcers felt that way as well. Um, I'm a big, big believer that if you're fighting a guy in their hometown, especially a champion, you got to kind of dominate to win rounds. And and so I, I I felt like that round might go to uh, might go to Bisbing just because of that, and and also it was close to begin with. And then the third round, you had. Um, Bisming started to take control and not get hit with any major shots. And uh, cardio started to become a real factor. Henderson started, it seemed like he, he maybe took that round off. Yeah. Right. So to save himself for future rounds, fourth round was a, a lot, a lot like the third round where Henderson looked gassed. He didn't look, that's where he took the groin shot late in the round took his break, and then after that, for the next minute and a half, it seemed like he had a little more in the tank. And then, finally, in the fifth round, that was probably Henderson's best round since the first round. And it was fairly even. I think most of the judges' scorecards ended up going to Bisbing. I would agree with that. I thought Bisbing um, was going to win, and I thought he should have won, and it was 48-47 on two of the judges' scorecards, which is probably what I would have what I would have judged it. Although there is a chance that some judges may have judged the first round to be 10-8 because Henderson got a big shot in, stayed on top of him. The fight was very close to finishing, and I could I could see someone doing a 10-8 round there. Comments? Anything else? Yeah, I thought <laughs> um, I'd, I'd agree with you. that The last round, I thought, um, at least getting to the last minute of the fight, I thought we would have seen more from... Henderson realizing that that was it and he was going to do give it all and just leave everything you know right there in the octagon which he normally does I mean this is a guy they made the comment before that he's not real big on um, defense and that he's he's always looking for that one big shot Um, not to say I was disappointed because it was it really was a good fight yeah and he fought very patiently you know throughout especially the first I'd say probably the first two or three rounds, very patient, waiting for, you know, he was really waiting for Bisbang to make a mistake and and maybe overreach at some point and uh, or overextend, excuse me. And, it, you know, he was he was patient. He was poised. And I think just at the end of the day, he, you know, Bisbang is a is an animal when it comes to, you know, cardiovascular and, um you know, I don't think you could keep up with them. You know, at, at some points going into the round or coming out of it, he was visibly, you know, breathing, you know, large, you know, open mouth, uh, <laughs> stomach collapsing and expanding uh, visibly. And so I, I just don't think you could hang with them. So at the end of the fight, um, Brian Stan is talking to him and, Bisping then called out the rest of the division, and in particular, he called out uh, Weidman, um, Rockhold, and uh, and I think 205, depending on what happens with Rockhold's, or I'm, I'm sorry, with uh, with Weidman, that may be the next next fight um, for Bisping. That you know he may. I would think I would think Rockhold would would get a would get another fight he only he couldn't defend he won the title and lost in his first defense so Weidman had um had defended the belt was it three times three times twice against Silva um so three times yeah and then the fourth one he lost to um he lost to Rockhold so I think you know based on what we've seen in the past that um it's probably you know depending on how Although he's got a, he's got a big fight coming up against uh, Romero, um, I think Weidman, if he comes out on top, will end up being the next opponent for Bisping. Or at least that's what I'm rooting for as a Chris Weidman fan. Love to see him um, get a shot at the title. Um, I I don't think, I mean to be honest, 
looking ahead, I don't see the picture being very bright for Michael Bisbing. I don't think he stands a very good shot against any of the top fighters. Um, but, hey, I, I didn't think he stood much of a shot against Luke Rockhold, and look what he did. So, Michael Bisbing, hats off to you, buddy. You got your win tonight. Um, great job. And in, in, in moving on to the co-main event, we had Vitor Belfort versus Gegard Mousasi. And this is a fight that, that really um, I think everyone was kind of on the fence about. You know, I, I think Vitor was a heavy underdog. But you know the guy can hit like sledgehammers. And so, um, and, and, he's, and he's, his quickness has never been um, in question. And Musasi has always been solid, but never um, the highlight reel kind of guy that Vitor was. And uh, just Not some a flashy guy. Just some, just some, uh, some analysis on that. Yeah, I uh, that fight was actually kind of similar in pace, where uh, Gegard he didn't really push the pace a lot and and test the stamina, um, but he definitely had a plan and he kept moving forward. And in the end, it, it paid off. Um, I don't know if. Uh, if Belfort had been rocked to the point where, you know, he might have been woozy, but he definitely took some big shots. You could see it at the end where he was um, turned over and his face was was bloodied. Um, but there, there were a couple points I think where we thought that he was wobbling. It almost looked like, you know, he had delivered a shot and then you know it kept going. Yeah, I think he his defense was pretty good. If if he was wobbled. Um, he he held up pretty good, but he just um, he gasped pretty quick. You know, once the blows started coming, that that was the end. You know, and here was another fight, um, co-main event. I don't think, uh, not coincidentally, you know, a uh, an MMA legend. You know, there was some uh, some talk about him saying that this might have been his last fight. And that's and that's um, a report that has. Uh, he did not announce after the fight like Henderson did that this was his last fight and that he was retiring. However, um, all indication is is that it is it is his la- was his last fight. And in the MMA world, just as in the boxing world, these guys come back a lot. We see it with BJ Penn. We see it with talk with GSP. Who knows if that's truly his last fight? Even if he does make that that announcement, but it, it does look like he will. Uh, that'll be his last fight. Um, I, I just want to say, you know, there's something to be said about just how he looks now and how he looked when he was on TRT, yeah. and even before TRT was a thing. How his physique looked, and it's really painfully obvious to me that he's not the same guy. He. It was it was a, a amazing that well and Dan Henderson was on TRT as well, um, but he's been able to to uh, continue uh, doing what he did and and not really drop off, um, you know as far as his performance in the ring and he and he always had the same kind of body so I don't know that um, it really applies to him like it does for Vitor but I just you know always saw him as this physical specimen. And it became it after seeing him at the weigh-ins and, and and at the fight, it just became clear that that was a lot of enhancement. So when when did they start cracking down on TRT? Well, between um, certain guys failing drug tests and just knowing, like a lot of fighters were would say, um, you know, every Nick Diaz has said plenty of times, everyone's on performance enhancing drugs. Everyone's on steroids. Everyone's doing it. And then guys getting busted for them and guys complaining that they were fighting guys that were on TRT. Bisbing was a big uh, a voice in that kind of push to do something about it. GSP was after he had retired. He made a, um, a lot of noise about that. And uh, he was a guy that was always accused of it, All right. as a matter of fact. And, and uh, he actually... After he retired, announced that he wanted he wouldn't come back if they didn't have some kind of testing. And it's interesting. Uh, my first experience uh, seeing TRT in action was actually an advertisement years ago. I don't know if either of you guys have seen this. It was a doctor that was seventy years old and was just chiseled. 
And I thought, how in the world are they doing that? And of course, years later, come to find out, if you inject your body with large amounts of testosterone, you too can have a physique similar to that because that's what it takes to build muscle. You need testosterone. After 30 years of age, uh, you know, for men, they, they start to, to drop off, uh, you know, the, the, the T count. And so, you know, you hear a lot of guys talking about low T. And so what do they do? They get this uh, the testosterone replacement therapy and uh, good as gold. Uh, I'm sure later on we'll, we'll see that it, it wasn't, uh, you know, the results probably weren't worth the long term effects. But, you know, if you're a fighter and you can make a couple hundred thousand dollars a fight and that's how you feed your family, um, you know, you can understand why they do it. So ultimately, when it's all said and done, um, we had Gegard Mousasi uh, submitting. I'm trying to. TKO. TKOing yeah. Vitor Belfort. Yeah, he had him in the ground and pound, just kind of pounded him out. Um, and. Oh, you know what? Uh, one thing we forgot to mention about that, it looked like, I think, Ryan, you made this comment, it looked like he avoided he avoided going for the for the, the rear naked choke That's right. yeah. in, in order to get on get on top and hit the ground and pound. Yeah, I actually said that when it, it, there, there came a moment when it looked like Musasi could have had both hooks in and gone for the rear naked, and it... It looked to me like he was going to do that, and then he made the decision that he didn't want. He wanted to. He wanted to end with ground and pound. He didn't want to end with a submission. He didn't want to end with a choke. That's the way it appeared to me. I don't know if there's anything to that, but I, looking and watching the fight, that was my immediate reaction. Was he's choosing not to choke him out? He wants to pound him. And, and so, help me understand: is that? from uh, a spectacle in order to finish the fight with with punches is that because there's a potential payoff if you finish you know finish with ground and pound versus submission how does that work i think in the fighter's mind it could work different ways i think he wanted to prove a point and i think it had to do i mean this is a total guess but he probably um, viewed him as someone who was che- cheating and on steroids, and but that's been put to rest, right? I mean, that's been how but, long? But how long has he did he get away with it? And so I think that those kind of fighters, the fighters that are clean, have an animosity towards the fighters that we're we're using, and so um, that's where that kind of attitude. I don't know. I'm not speaking on his behalf, but it just appeared to me like he he made the decision to. That he knew he was in trouble. He knew he could have. It looked like he could have choked him out. And he was in control. And and he could have clearly, control of clearly. him. And he, I'm sure, when you're when you're that close and you're wrestling with, you can feel that they don't have it anymore. You can feel that they're they're not all there. The momentum had clearly correct. shifted. And so, um, so it looked to me like he did. I'm gonna stick with that ultimately. Um, so we also had um, OSP Ovin St. Peru versus Jimmy Manoa, and that was a, a fight that um, was a, another fight that you know was a good fight. Jim, yeah, uh, it looked in the beginning like uh, OSP was gonna control the fight. He uh, he definitely pushed it to the cage and. And then eventually Manuwa just caught him, um, caught him twice, uh, went down odd. OSP went down odd. In the, it, it was, yeah, <laughs> the it leg just, buckled, yeah. kind of buckled underneath of him. Right. And credit to the referee, though. Referee got a great stoppage. Uh, there wasn't any, you know, ex, uh, excess hitting or anything like that. Uh, I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure Roy, I'm sure Roy Nelson appreciated that stoppage. <laughs> yeah, the um the the funny thing was watching that fight is Saint Peru looked like in the first round he was going to be the I mean he he was the fighter that kind of took advantage and had had control of him on the ground and was kind of um looked like he was winning the round and and the the weird thing is. He was on in top position most of the round, and so, and so, Manoa is carrying all of his weight 
for this round. And gen- and generally, that's going to cause the guy on the on the on the bottom to be more worn out than the guy on top of him. And and it seemed like it was the exact opposite. And I, I would have to wonder. And Jim, you said this during the during the broadcast that that that's a conditioning issue. It lo- it appeared like there was a conditioning issue with OSP, and that's a concern. Right. I I remember watching in like, the first uh, thirty seconds and thinking, you know, where was this when he was fighting uh, John Jones? Had he been able to keep that kind of pace? And push it, you know that uh, the results there might have uh, been a little different. Maybe not necessarily coming out on top, but I do, I do think that um, he's a big guy. I don't think he's. I think he may be his uh, frame can't carry all that, and there's going to be a a stamina issue for him going forward. I just don't think that that he can go late into a fight. So. It's his second. It's his second loss. Where does he go from here? Well, I mean, for him, I I would want to get a win under my belt, and so um, I wouldn't be concerned with where my ranking is and all that. I I just want to get back in there as quick as possible and get a W. Um, he's. Not, I don't think he's in any danger of being cut. But th- honestly, that conditioning would really concern me. This is a guy who. Took a f- took the John Jones fight in in short um, uh, last minute, and he went five rounds with John Jones. So what's happened since then? And he hasn't fought since then. I, I think, think John had a layoff too, though, right? Well, yeah, but correct. it's John Jones, correct? <laughs> but he's fighting John Jones, and John Jones is still the two hundred five king. I mean, so. I don't know. It, it really concerned me that in a round that he was on top and should have been wearing down his opponent, that he was the one that was totally gassed. You could tell it in between rounds. You could tell it as soon as the round started. He didn't want to engage. He didn't want any action, and, and that's concerning. And, Jim, I don't know if you remember this. I think that there was a – if I'm remembering it correctly, I think there was a point where OSP had position and then – all of a sudden, we all kind of looked at each other, and how, how did he get out of that? And how's he in? Is that? Am I thinking of the right fight? Yeah, that was it. Um, he he had. Uh, there were a couple times where he clearly had control. He was on top, and I don't know if he gassed out. Um, similar to when you know uh, Overeem was ready to choke out Stipe, and his arms just gassed out. But yeah, he he didn't look like he had prepared, you know, to to go long into this, and and maybe he was coming out to try and make a statement, or he wanted to show people his punching power. I I don't know, but he didn't look like he was um, ready to go long into the into the fight. And we also had another fight I just want to touch on that was Stefan Struve, who uh, skyscraper had a. You know, this is a guy that I said before the fight, he always seems to disappoint me and because I see the guy has so much potential. And, and not only that, but he also looks like Kane from the WWE. And so, um, so yeah, what do you guys think about that fight? I'm uh, in the same boat with you. He seems like one of those fighters that can be dangerous, but it's almost like he's afraid to get into a mix. And except for... Um, Tonight, he he kind of pushed the pace a little bit, um, but just because there was such a big difference, you know, almost a foot um, difference, and then, you know, what, uh, 10 inches, 12-inch reach advantage, which is huge. And he's got those long, long legs. He those just, knees are vicious. Yeah, he had that one, that one knee where he brought it up, and um, he, he just missed, but... He doesn't use his height to an advantage. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't fold anyone off. He, no. he doesn't fight. He doesn't. The way he looks, he doesn't fight up to that. I, you know. 
and I don't think he uses distance well. I it just it's a frustrating thing for me because I think the guy has so much potential, but ultimately he he did what he had to do today in the in the second round. He was able to uh, get the takedown. He he got the Dars choke uh, locked in and, and got the submission victory, and so um, that that wraps up a. Um, a, a surprisingly good card. A, a, not a card that I was excited about, but it delivered way beyond my um, expectation. I would have, uh, on a looking forward to it scale, I'd give it a four, and on a delivery scale, I'd give it an eight. So pleasantly surprised. And, and there's a lot of tough competition. Obviously, we've got a couple great shows coming up with 205 and at, at you know at, at MSG potentially the return of GSP, potentially the return of Ronda Rousey. So you know it's it's hard to. It's hard to deliver, or it's hard to it's hard to have the card uh, that you're looking forward to, but it certainly delivered. And it was really nice to uh, to also see the UFC um, dedicate this card and this event to uh, the memory of Josh Salmon, who uh, who passed away earlier in the in the week, and and you know it's a very sad um, sad thing. Josh was someone who um, was on uh, the Ultimate Fighter and somebody who had. Had uh, done a lot for the MMA um, community, the hardcore fans. He's done a lot of writing. He wrote a book, and he's also been a longtime contributor on a couple of MMA websites. And so um, he's made an impact on on a, on a lot of people, and a, quite a writer, and, and, a, and a great guy, and a great fighter. And so uh, it was nice to see that they uh, they dedicated this uh, event to him. Yeah, it's a sad story, definitely. Um, I didn't know much about him, but. In hearing about his passing, I, I did read up a, a little on him, and his uh, his girlfriend, um, like really, probably put him over the edge, and uh, she died in a car accident while those two were texting. Um, you know, I you know the book that he wrote was called um, The Housekeeper: Love, Death, and Prize Fighting, and yeah, when I um, heard about that, I just thought I, I can't. Imagine what that, you know, the, what that pain could be like where, you know, he, he probably took on some guilt thinking that he had contributed to that. Um, so it's sad story no matter, you know, what angle you look at it, um, you know, with the, the drugs. And at this point, we don't know if, uh, if that's ultimately what the cause was because it was um, about a week after they had found him unresponsive. Um, and apparently in cases like that, um, the coroner does not do autopsies. So, you know, they can't make an official ruling on, on what, what the cause of his death was. I mean, I'm sure they can trace if there's, if it was drug related, they're going to be able to find that in his blood without an autopsy. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think they, um, they do that because he died in the hospital, not on the scene. Um, where they have to know the cause of death. So um, that's, yeah, I, I thought that was odd too, but when yeah. I, I found out about that, maybe, maybe they will, you know, I don't know. Ultimately, um, uh, you know, what's released to us and what's released to the family may, may be two very different things. And ultimately, um, our thoughts and prayers are here at Octagon 24-7 and MMA FanCast go out to uh, Josh's family. Um, moving on. Um, as we look forward, you know, one of the things I'm really looking forward to, and one of the things that I think a lot of people are looking forward to, is the return of Ronda Rousey. But I keep wondering, when is that going to happen? Because it just keeps going on and on and uh-huh. on. And um, so, guys, what, what, are you, what are you guys hearing? What, what, are, what are your sources telling you? I think she's coming back. For the uh, December thirtieth card, um, that would be what two oh seven. But, and I, I think she's got uh, a title shot with Amanda Nunes. You know that's something that we heard um, through uh, a source when we were in Cleveland. He, uh, could, you know, we we can't confirm it, but um, that's some information that we were given. But she's been uh, out of the fight world for a long time now in terms of the UFC. I don't know what's what's going on with her. Is it, you know, something physical? I think maybe there's something mental there too with 
that beating that she took and it being her first loss and then the way that she lost uh, I think there was both a physical aspect and a mental aspect to the fight and the loss for her that you know maybe has carried on for a lot longer than her fans really expected yeah I, I I'm, I'm sure the the injuries at the time were you know pretty severe however <laughs> the mental game the being built up in your mind that you are the toughest woman on the planet. And, you know, if you look at the line for that fight, I believe it was 7-1 to one for Ronda Rousey. Uh, nobody thought Holly Holm, except for her coaches, thought, thought she had a chance. Uh, Ronda, I think, before that fight seemed different. She, I, I don't think they touched gloves. I don't, I think something seemed different. I don't know if that's, you know, she is a, you know, Hollywood celebrity. She's on the cover of, you know, you name a magazine. She's probably been on the, on the cover or if not featured. How does that, how does that play into, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, this is a woman that used to sleep in her car, right? So you go from that to, you know, everybody knows you. Maybe that maybe the pressure was too much. Maybe she didn't have as much time to train. Maybe she thought she had to live up to that image. We won't know, but I do believe that she is coming back. I think best guesses say December 30th at, at 2.07. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, so this is coming from someone who has pretty much stuck up for Ronda Rousey. He is... He is uh, this been is there the for new Mr. Rousey. Yes. Terry Dactyl in at you know <laughs> the eve of UFC two oh three. Was it was it Friday night that that happened? It was before? Friday night. So and that's something that we're gonna get into a little later, but this is a guy who had Rhonda's back when Rhonda needed someone to have her back. Let's let's just be honest with this. And so Rhonda, g- give the guy a call. Terry Dactyl's waiting for you. Um, so I see that, uh, Cyborg is still calling out Ronda Rousey. Um, she hasn't stopped just because Ronda's gone doesn't mean Cyborg is going to stop calling her out. Most recently, she is saying, um, some things to the media, uh, to read some quotes. She says, Ronda doesn't say anything. She doesn't even say my name. She uses Dana White and her mother to talk to me because she knows if she says my name, she'll have to fight me. She knows this. My last fight, I broke the nose of the girl in three places. Sure, if I fight her, she'll have to do surgery on her face after. I am not kidding. So is this something... Now, from Cyborg's standpoint, I think she's a... uh, an amazing talent and I, I don't know what the UFC is going to do with her, but is this what she should be spending her time on um, calling out Ronda Rousey or, or, or should she go down a different path? No, I, I think she's doing exactly what she should be doing. Anytime you want to get recognized, you want to be the top dog, you have to go after the top dog. There is not a bigger name in UFC, uh, in the women's division, than Ronda Rousey. A win over Ronda Rousey, even a fight against Ronda Rousey, everybody will know her after that. You think about the pay-per-view buys. uh, That has the potential, if they they build it right, uh, and they didn't, you know, they didn't push it right away, that could... I, that could set records. But what's in it for Rousey? Why would why would that be a fight Rousey would take? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons she could do it. Uh, I, you know, I, I've only protected her once. I don't know her personally. <laughs> <laughs> but but I would have to think that there would be a couple things. Number one, if she is a champion, I think she would show to be a fighting champion. I, I think as far as uh, you know, setting a precedent that. But wait, before you we go any further. She can't make 135. That is where Ronda is. And so she can't make that weight. So that's part of the equation of why is she, why should she be calling out Ronda when there's not really a future in the division for her there. There's no real reason for Ronda to fight her. She's, Ronda's going to have to fight up to fight her. 
she's huge. <laughs> and Ronda's not. Ronda's just not that big. And so when you look at when you look at a picture of I saw a picture of Dominique Cruz standing next to uh and they're both in the 145 pound weight divisions of the men uh, sitting next to standing next to Cyborg and Cyborg's like a giant compared to Dominique Cruz. So I just don't know why Ronda takes that fight. There's what's in it for her. I, I think one word, legacy. I think Ronda wants to go down as the greatest women's fighter in UFC history. In order for her to do that, you can't avoid a fight, albeit there's issues with weight. Uh, there's questions of why she would take it. Does she need to take it? No, she doesn't. But I think if she wants to have the legacy as, you know, the, the best, she's going to have to face Cyborg at some point. Well, yeah, she's there, – there's no benefit to her. I even – I don't know if I would agree with you on the legacy. I, I think what she's done up to this point um, will cement her legacy and anything going forward will just add to it. I don't – I I think it's a lose-lose situation for her if she does fight Cyborg because um, – her walk around weight is probably cyborg that is probably like 160 165 and ronda her walk around is probably 140 i'm just guessing um and you know cyborg in her now, uh, ronda has to cut more than 5 pounds but well i mean she i fights at so, 135 she'd be able to make 125 when i asked yeah. her she said 147 <laughs> 147 okay so there you have it from terry dactyl but um it would have to be a a catch weight fight because we know the issues that uh that cyborg had when she fought uh lena um she had what was it 25 pounds she had to cut in the last week mm. which is un unreal and I can't see it. So she struggled to get to 140. There's no way she can make 135. And if Ronda's smart, she won't, you know, do the catch weight and go to 140. It, just, it doesn't make sense for her. Money-wise, um, she's still going to make the money inside the division that she fights in. So I don't see really any benefit yeah, I think Even, there's I think there's more risk for her money wise than there is reward. And that's, it's a one time one time reward, but it's a long term risk. I think what you've seen though, I think they've Dana has. I don't know if he makes these fights. I don't know if that's Joe Silva. I don't know if Dana is inputting or allows it. But you see CM Punk fight. You see Henderson taking on Bisbing. Um, I'm sure that there's other examples where they're looking, you know, Conor McGregor's fighting Eddie Alvarez, okay? So you have these matchups, not necessarily based on rankings, but because those are the matches they are going to get the eyeballs. And I think ultimately what that does for the business of UFC is the more eyeballs you can get with these types of matches, you, that's when you draw in a casual fan to see somebody... You know, for example, do you know any casual fans? You know, I'm sure they exist. Um, I happen to be one myself. I <laughs> Terry, I know the casual I, fan. So I, I apologize to the listeners. I am a casual fan. Um, so I'm not sure if you you've heard that yet. So um, just stop right there. There's something I have to get off my chest that I I, I noticed something today when we were watching um, UFC 204. Um, this guy calls himself a casual fan, Jim, but I don't know if you noticed, but the screaming and the hooting and hollering that came out of this casual fan, and then we get to the main event, and the guy can't even sit down. It's true. He stood the whole time. It's true. So you don't call yourself a casual fan and be more into it than the than the hardcore fans. So I will say this. Um, I am, I'm a crossover fan. I was, I started as a professional wrestling fan. I started to get more into UFC. I'm making a transition now. I am on an, I'm on an MMA journey right now. But you're still going to hold your wrestling roots. I, I, I'll, yeah, I can never lose my wrestling roots. You Although got I a can't, son to, 
you know, go to matches with I will. when he gets a little older. I will absolutely do that, but now I think UFC has to be part of that repertoire as well. What I'm finding now is that the more that I start to understand about the the background, um, certainly different fighting styles and uh, starting to see who my favorite fighters are. I love a Conor McGregor, love a Ronda Rousey. Uh, I, you know, I think it, it's it's hard not to get into it, especially when they're I think they're they're doing a better job now of telling the stories. Um, certainly, uh, you know, obviously my wrestling roots, storytelling is a big part of that, uh, but they're doing it with a lot of realism. It, and uh, just a quick mention, um, be looking for Octagon247.com coming up in the next um, couple weeks. You can uh, find some information out um, about that um, if you go to our Facebook page, Octagon247. But this is the reason why we're doing these podcasts, um, the website, the Facebook page, because we're just fans. And um, whether you're a casual fan, you... Um, watch pay-per-views only or um, you might tune in um, once or twice a year just because you hear a big name um, that's what this is all about so reach out to us um, you know like our page leave a comment for us um, we'll definitely get back to you but this talk is by the fans and for the fans and let us know who you want to hear on the podcast we will gladly talk about the, the subjects you want to hear about. And that's what we, we want to hear. We know that we all like smack talk. And part of the, the smack talk is is hearing about it. And one of the smack talk that is most recent is Donald Cerrone has started talking about Conor McGregor. And I have a quote here. It says, he's talking about McGregor and all the smack talk that McGregor does. And he says, it's all an act, a big show. He says, I just tune him out uh, because behind the scenes, he is like a scared little kid. He hides from us. When they line us all up, they take Connor and put him in another room because he can't be around other fighters because we don't play that expletive. He also went on to say he is disliked by all, by all. He's not one of the fellas. He's not a good dude. But it is what it is. He's done a good job promoting the sport. He's done a good job at making money. So I can't hate the guy for that. But just as a person, I ain't a fan of his. They, they will be thanking Conor McGregor when they start to see their paychecks go up. This is the same thing that happened in the 1980s with Hulk Hogan, right? All of these guys are going to make more money because of Conor McGregor being on that card. The fact that there are some people that are you know, rubbed the wrong way by him changing in another area or him not engaging. He's not one of the boys. Um, I, I think he's smart, number one, to talk about Conor McGregor um, because that, that uh, absolutely, anytime you want to, anytime you want to be in the but light, he, you talk about the light. Is he talking, is he bringing up his name for that reason or is he bringing him up because... He's annoyed by him, and hopefully it, both. I, I think he, he it's there's no strategy here. I think his name's coming up through the course of an interview, and he's just uh, uh, unloading and dumping because it, he annoys him. If anything, he should. You know, if you got a guy like Conor McGregor, and if you can get a fight against Conor McGregor, win, lose, or draw, you are getting noticed. You are getting paid. It's good for your career. So why wouldn't you talk about a guy like Conor McGregor? Yeah. Um, the uh, the no known factor for Conor McGregor is he's, he's a superstar. Um, he's a name that the casual MMA fan will know. Donald Cerrone, um, excellent, excellent fighter, but I don't know if, if he would get that he has he doesn't obviously have that notoriety um he could walk down the street and you know people would walk by him and say why is that guy wearing a cowboy hat you know but connor walking down the street people would know him um we do know some ma mma fans that yeah, would wait an hour and a half in the blazing sun yeah, to get a picture with donald Cerrone. Mm -hmm. i don't know if any oh jim you know what sahara i think you did that. there were two cowboys in cleveland um, but yeah, I, uh, I, what you mentioned, Ryan, 
Um, I think Cerrone's just trying to to get his name out there. Uh, I saw a clip where Cerrone and McGregor were, McGregor were backstage, and it didn't seem like there was animosity or whatever this is that he's saying. It just seemed like this was backstage after the fights. McGregor was already dressed. Cerrone was, you know, going through, you know, his wardrobe and uh, cleaning up after his fight, and that was it. So I don't know, what, you know, what this talk is about. I've heard others say say the same thing, but he's a superstar, though. Yeah, I I don't think that he should associate himself with the rest of the people there. I think if you want to be a true superstar, somebody that's larger than life, you have to be different than everybody else. That includes who you associate with. That includes what your reputation's like. He he doesn't want to be talking all of this smack and then hear about, uh, you know, we don't want to hear about Conor McGregor talking to Donald Cerrone about the, their kids or something like that. No, we want, the, we want the image of he is an elite fighter. He talks smack. He backs it up. Uh, and... I like that he doesn't dress and get along with everybody else. That, that to me, tells me that there's something different and something special. Not that we all don't know that, but that's just another way that he separates himself from the group. Yeah, the one thing that I, I, I did like about what he said is he recognized what McGregor's bringing to the sport, and that is uh, making a name and um, bringing people in who probably normally wouldn't. He's having people turn their heads to watch the UFC. So in the end, um, that is a benefit across the board for everybody in UFC and the MMA world. And that's similar to what happened with Mickey Gall and CM Punk. Uh, Mickey Gall is a great fighter. He was a class act to meet. Uh, He didn't beat me up despite what these two may tell you. Uh, But he was made by CM Punk. And sounds a little strange saying that considering that Punk, you know, got his butt handed to him, but it was the eyeballs on the show that got him noticed. So, and that leads us to a great transition. Thank you, Mr. Altieri. I mean, no, let me take that back. Thank you, Mr. Dactyl. We, as we uh, talk about Mickey Gall, he was just, it was just announced that the fight he called out. Is Sage Northcott. He said, I want to fight that corny guy. And the official favorite fighter of Octagon247.com, Mickey Gall, is going head-to-head in December to fight Sage Northcott. What do you guys think of I, that fight? I am... Ter- <laughs> Terry Dactyl couldn't be more excited. I think if you have the right build... Any fight, you know, has the making to, to be something special. This clearly has the right build. Uh, Dana White looking for a fight. These are the two. These are the two young up and coming guys. And let me tell you this about Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall doesn't just know how to fight. He's not just a, a, a good looking young kid that's ready to make his name. This guy knows business. When he got the chance to speak on that microphone, he knew exactly who to call out. And now he's got it. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's how he got his chance in the first place is he knew who to call out he when called he out had home. the opportunity yeah. um, in front of Dana White and, and the rest of the gang. So as we um, take a look um, into the future, we look at the next card was supposed to be UFC Manila, which was supposed to be next weekend. And it was canceled due to uh, BJ Penn being injured. That was supposed to be BJ Penn's big comeback fight. We've heard this before. We've had him scheduled for multiple fights at this point. We've had him rumored and uh, for even more fights for his return. Um, I'm kind of the question I have for you guys is: is this is a, an event that the UFC has canceled just a couple weeks in advance? Um, this has happened a couple times now where one person's gotten injured in the main event and the and the card's gotten canceled. Yeah, I think it's it's bad for the UFC when this stuff happens. It I agree. Because you have a whole event that was canceled and you leave fans you know wondering, you know, why do they why can they just fill the card and bring somebody else in? But um yeah, the the injuries once you 
start having a history where you have to have somebody replace you because you can't make the card due to an injury. Um, and with Penn, I, I know he's not uh, super old. He's not, you know, where Henderson is. But I think he's at the point now where he just needs to call it quits, period. And the UFC needs to be mindful of that, that, that you know, they don't want somebody that's injury prone who's going to affect the card that they have put together. You know, they, they, they well, work only hard. Only one was due to an injury of him in my memory. The last one was he had gotten um, fluid injections after weigh-ins or something he had gotten. Maybe an IV. An IV after after weigh-ins, and he admitted it because he didn't know he didn't know that the rule had changed, and so um, so he was pulled off of that card. And then prior to that, there were some other different issues, but I think this is the first time he's been pulled off for his own injury. Okay. Well, it just um, my concern personally. My concern is why are we having cards that are so weak that one fighter getting hurt? Now, I don't care if it's a main event or not, but one fighter getting hurt should not cause a card to be to be scrapped. Right. That's a great point. And so I think that's the importance of having a good co-main event is that it can carry a card if needed, and so that you're not, but. Yeah, BJ Penn. Um, I I personally would love to see BJ Penn fight again. We talked about, um, we mentioned tonight, and we'll, we'll probably dig a little further into this. What would happen? How would it look to have a legends division in the UFC? And you know, guys like like Dan Henderson, who might not be raring to fight. You know, those those nice twenty four year old young kids that are, you know. Tough as nails and little sponges learning the the fight game. Um, he might not be real eager to fight them, but to have a legends division where you could still compete and get your competitive juices out and and throw H bombs around, you know, that might be something that um, I don't know. Just something we we may talk, delve into a little further. Um, we want to uh, the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking a lot about UFC two hundred five. We're, we're running down to our last couple minutes here to, tonight, but we're going to spend a lot of time the next couple weeks talking about 205. We are really looking forward to this card. I believe, I think we all believe that this is the best card that the UFC has ever put together, that if there are fights, if there are three fights that are scrapped that are not Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez, it's still... The best card that's ever that the, the, that I've ever seen. So I'm very excited. You you look at looking at the card. There are every, three three title fights. Everyone's a everyone is a known entity that can draw fans. Every single one of them. And even Liz Carmouche is in the is in the first fight of the of the night. And that's just that's just amazing to me. So. We are really looking forward to that. We're looking forward to um, to all the um, all of the events that are uh, coming up. UFC is gonna without this Manila card, we're gonna hit a little bit of a of a lull. We don't have another event until um, I believe it is um, the t- the Ultimate Fighter finale, which is the week before. I think it's the seventh, twelfth, no, the fifth. The 5th of November, um, we'll see Rafael Dos Anjos come back and, and Diego Sanchez fights on the card. So uh, we'll be talking more about that. But the 205 card is where I think everyone's kind of really excited to see, really excited to talk about. We'll have a month to talk about that, and we look forward to that as well. So as we get ready to wrap up, um, I just wanted to... We had mentioned a, uh, a Ronda Rousey story, and I wanted you guys to kind of tell that story about um, Terry Dactyl and Ronda Rousey. Well, I can tell you, Sahara me- remembers it a lot better than I do. Yeah, this was this was Friday night, the night before um, two o three. So this is um, September 9th. Um, it's probably around. Uh, it's got to be like nine ish, between nine and ten, and we're standing in. 
the hotel lobby, the Wyndham in Cleveland. I, I do have to correct you real quick. I think Ronda Rousey was on her way to do the wrestling show, so it might have been a little earlier than that. It might have been seven, eight. Although it was could, dark. Could it was Although dark. It, was dark. dark. So it may have it even been eight. later than that. So Okay. But you know, so we're standing there and some guys behind us had said, There goes Rousey. And I turned around and I said, What'd you say? And he repeats and he said, There goes Rousey. But she went out pretty quick, so I don't think she's going to be out there when you go out there. So we then go outside and there, there weren't, there wasn't much of a crowd of people hanging out um, in front of the hotel in the hotel lobby. Um, but we turn to our right and there's a small crowd of maybe, maybe eight people, eight, 10 max. Um, but I'll say eight. And Rhonda's got her back. She's leaning up against, the hotel wall. This part I do remember. So, um, and there's a guy standing in uh, in front of her, and he's about the same size, maybe even a little smaller than her. Um, but he has in his hands what looks like um, a box that's uh, got an action figure, uh, maybe her, and he's asking her to sign it. And she didn't want to. She uh, She made it clear that she didn't want to sign anything. The first time that he asked, she said, look, that's not what I'm here for. Uh, maybe some other time, but I'm not doing that right now. He he pushed a couple more times, and you could see that walkout face um, that she's famous for is what came out. And there was actually a police officer standing to Rousey's right, and she made a few uh, comments saying, come on, people, leave her alone, but wasn't really getting involved in trying to move people away and dan terry dactyl was standing in front of me he was actually right behind this guy that was pestering rousey yeah and keep in mind this is the type of guy that sits in a hotel lobby with a whole box of stuff just waiting to get them to autograph it so he can go back and sell it on ebay yeah and she knew that his uh, what he gave as a reason wasn't legitimate. He told her that he just wanted her to sign it because it was for his son, and that's when uh, when Terry had um, put his hand on the guy's shoulder, on the guy's right shoulder, and he wasn't moving. And then Dan went around, or Terry Dactyl went around the guy's left, and now Terry's got his back to Ronda Rousey, so. If Dan Terry was wearing any deodorant, um, Rhonda would have known what it was. It, he was that close. The guy's um, standing right in front of Terry, and Terry just starts walking towards the guy, and the guy at this point has nothing to do but move back. you got to remember, I'm twice his size. Terry stands about 6'3". Six, three and a half. Six, three and a half. So there you go. This guy was probably five, two. There was a big difference. And that's when the cop then moves in and says, as, you know, she's acting like she's not taking charge. When it was Terry, Mr. Rousey, Dactyl, who had Ronda Rousey's back and he protected her from this fan. And maybe I should say... He protected the fan from Rousey because she had that walkout look on her face. And I I remember afterwards, we're standing there and people are dispersing at this point. And I, I said to Terry, that was a good thing that you did. And he, he didn't really recall it at the time. And I don't think it was until what maybe... I think the it next was day I, or... I was I, it was that night and I was describing to you saying, "Ah, you know, I really should have stepped in there and done more." I thought that was really uncalled for. And that's when I think you said to me, "Well, what do you mean?" And I described the situation up until the point of actually stepping in front of the guy and moving everyone back. See, when a hero is a hero, he doesn't even recognize his own heroics, his bravery, right? I mean, Terry I, I keep in mind I've got the toughest woman in the world standing behind me. So, you know, you gotta have a little confidence there. Terry Dactyl 
is not just a beautiful, beautiful man. He is also a hero. And new. He's a hero. Mr. Rousey. So that's that's who we have here. We have Terry Dactyl, the new Mr. Rousey. He is a part of MMA FanCast. We are Octagon 24-7. You can find us at Octagon247.com. We will be up and ready by the time any of you hear this because we're not going to have a website until we can put these podcasts out and vice versa, something like that. (laughs) But we look forward to being in your lives, and you can reach us immediately at info at octagon247.com. You can email us there, and we will... Um, let us know your questions. Let us know all that. We'll also have forums available at the time. Um, you can comment on our podcast. You can comment on our um, articles and, and anything like that. So we look forward to uh, you joining us each and every day at octagon247.com. Once again, that's octagon with an A in the middle. I that throws spelling. us off sometimes. I was spelling octagon originally, but it's octagon, and my son, who is learning doing spelling every week, um, would appreciate that I learned how to spell octagon through this process. So, o c t a g o n two four seven dot com. Thank you for joining us. We will be back with you next time.